0: This year's market environment has been hugely challenging to navigate. A number of different themes have captured the attention of our investment floor, and our fund managers have been considering how these are likely to evolve going forward. I'm Ewan Murray, Head of Investment at the International Business of Federated Hermes, and I'd like to welcome you to this special episode of Amplified, where we present our outlook for the rest of 2021. In this episode, we'll hear from our senior economist, Sylvia D'Angelo, who will set the scene from a macroeconomic perspective. And then we'll turn to Louise Dudley, Global Equities Portfolio Manager, and Andrew Giacco Jackson, Head of Fixed Income and Multi-Asset, for their views on the equity and fixed income markets respectively. I'm hoping that our conversation will touch on a number of the key themes uh, with our guests giving their view of the recovery thus far, what risks they see as being pertinent, and lastly, we'll turn to the sustainable investment revolution. This last is a topic we're particularly excited about at the International Business of Federated Hermes. If we are to achieve the target of net zero by 2050, Then we know that as much as 75% of global energy generation will need to come from renewables, wind, solar, and others. There will be firms who manage to make this fundamental shift, and equally those who are unable. For those that get it right, no question, the opportunity will be enormous. So let's kick off by talking about the financial recovery. And since our last forecast At the end of 2020, I'm wondering how the economic picture has changed. Sylvia, as our senior economist, I wonder if you feel that there is more reason for optimism.
1: Thanks, Joanne. Yes, I think that there are definitely reasons to be more optimistic about the short-term outlook. Uh, In recent months, uh, we have seen that the economic conditions have improved quite significantly. The fundamentals from the recovery from the COVID-related recession have strengthened. And the global economy is now on track for very strong growth for the next couple of quarters, at least. Uh, Crucially, uh, the vaccine rollout has advanced uh, significantly uh, across uh, most developed economies. uh, And that is a precondition really for a safe and sustainable reopening uh, of the economy. Uh, In addition, uh, the policy stance has remained extremely accommodative. Uh, And in particular, uh, governments uh, have announced new rounds of fiscal uh, measures um, in recent months. In particular, the US administration announced a $1.9 trillion uh, COVID relief package back in March. So overall, uh, the global economy is on track uh, to match the IMF forecast of 6% growth for this year, which which would be um, a, a record high Uh, since the series started in 1980. Uh, Of course, this strong number needs to be put into perspective uh, as it would follow uh, a record contraction of 3.5% in 2020. So to some extent, what we're seeing now uh, is the mirror image uh, of developments uh, in the first half of uh, 2020. In addition, there are some elements uh, of uh, fragility in the current recovery, which has been extremely uneven Uh, across countries, uh, across sectors, and also within uh, countries uh, and regions. And in particular, um, a notable divergence has opened up between emerging markets and uh, advanced economies uh, with the former lagging in the recovery. And that really has reflecting a different ability uh, to um, tap necessary sources to contain the pandemic, uh, and uh, to support uh, the recovery, um, and this is a problem for um, all countries, really, because as we see recently, uh, variants of the virus tend to emerge in in places, in countries where uh, the vaccine rollout uh, is not up to speed. Uh, so, um, bottom line, uh, the outlook has improved significantly, but there are still uh, short-term risks.
0: Sylvia, that's super. So. To paraphrase, I think I'm hearing near term a relatively rosy picture, perhaps though some clouds on the horizon further afield with problems, I wonder if they require to be addressed, which will be maybe in the labor markets and perhaps the buildup of, of debt. So we'll maybe come back a little bit later and pick up on some of those issues. But in the meantime, Louise, I wonder if I could turn to you now. What's your sense of the recovery so far to date um, as far as the global equity markets are concerned? Are we still seeing uh, a, a bit of a, a separation of markets from real economy?
2: Well, yes. I mean, we are perhaps seeing a little bit of that. Um, global equities and markets in general have, have been very strong. Um, you know, there's been the odd pull back um, but in general we're definitely seeing that investors are remaining positioned within those risk on assets so we have a risk aversion indicator which we use which looks across different asset classes and that's remaining in the in the top uh, quintile um, favoring um, kind of equities um, commodities um, those really type kind of high positioned um Strongly positioned risk assets. Um, On top of that, you know, we're also seeing some really strong momentum within earnings as well. So that's supporting that ongoing um, rotation into those risk on assets. We're seeing it also um, in the performance of some of the factors. So value, outperforming growth. Um, Actually, for this year, we've seen a real Um, divergence in terms of the performance of those two factors even more extreme than what we've seen over the last couple of years Um, and particularly you know as we're kind of 12 months on from that initial kind of pandemic wave uh, and the economy's shutting we've started to see sentiment flowing into those rebounding areas of the market Um, so that's really perpetuating and keeping Um, that value trade going for a little bit longer. We are conscious that we're about to come into earnings season again. And and so definitely people will be looking at the underlying strength of of some of those businesses. And um, in general, feeling quite buoyant about the fact that companies will be able to deliver. One of the key concerns is definitely inflation. Um, Everyone seems to be talking about it. And the Question of whether it will stick around or, or whether it is just temporary. For us, we're, we're definitely thinking that it is a bit more temporary just because we're in such a strange environment where we've had this sudden rebound in, in global markets. Um, so, supply chains around the world um, being faced with bottlenecks as things kind of get restarted and restocking happens across the economy. Um, on top of that, we've had commodity prices kind of um, being impacted by some of those bottlenecks. So we've had some, some spikes in those, but we've actually started to see some of those coming down. Um, one thing that we do expect to have an impact within certainly this quarter and going forward is the raised um, wage um, prices that are coming in. You know, it's a factor that um, impacts different companies across the economy differently, depending on the kind of the wage intensity. Um, And the expectation is that there will be some hits to margins. Um, But at the same time, there's companies which, because of taking cost out of their business last year, um, would have been expecting really bumper margins for this year. And so, yes, maybe being compressed, but still a lot stronger than what we've seen over the last couple of years. So it's a case that things are still looking quite buoyant and quite supportive for for companies in terms of delivering both top line and bottom line growth, but maybe a little bit less than we were perhaps expecting at the start of the year.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned the I word, Louise, inflation, as it it does seem to have dominated uh, nearly all of the dominant narratives uh, so far this year, whether that's in uh, you know inflation is a transitory sense or whether there's something uh, more persistent about it and jacko turning to you i wonder how should credit investors feel about this recovery and should they be concerned about the i word inflation
3: yeah great question thank you Johan, and, and and thanks Luis, for the for the intro um, it's hard to de- deny that the recovery has really gathered pace and that we're seeing strong earnings um both in corporates and in in financials actually on both sides of the atlantic um the vast majority vast majority of the corporates and financials have weaned themselves off those life support systems that governments and central banks put into place last year Uh, unlike a year ago we're able to sort of hear from corporates about their predictions for future earnings which you know just one year ago they were unable to do and i think when i think about credit one of the really big takeaways of the last six months has been what a great job corporate treasurers have done to refinance their debt and push the maturity further out which has has issues as well and you you were pointing on it uh, in terms of inflation because that super long duration of our asset class the fixed income asset class longer than it's ever been both in high yield and investment grade means that we are more vulnerable to moves in interest rates which naturally come from news and inflation. Uh, so you know our sensitivity to a move in inflation is higher than it's been previously but that doesn't necessarily mean inflation is going to run uh, rampant and I kind of concur with Louise that maybe the market has got a little bit of ahead of itself in terms of pricing in too much inflation but, and there is a really really big but here, we are very very sensitive to moves in inflation, the market is very sensitive because of valuations. A um, couple of other reflections on what credit uh, market participants should be thinking about: we've seen very, very strong credit performance, particularly from those that are lowest rated. So, the triple C's and single B's have done particularly well from the from a credit spread perspective. But fixed income, and particularly U.S. investment grade fixed income assets, had the worst and most volatile quarter they've ever had in the first quarter of this year and that isn't something that necessarily you know market participants would see on headlines and i think that that's been a bit of a sort of salutary lesson for market participants that actually valuations can go down as well as up particularly the case within cash bonds uh, which have a high degree of interest rate sensitivity but one would imagine that as interest rates if, we're, if interest rates were to reach a more historically normal level, that that might call into question um, some of the credit spreads we're seeing and the affordability of debt for some of the higher leveraged, uh, lower rated corporates.
0: Jacko, it's, it's fascinating that you mention um, this huge amount of volatility that you've seen in the in sections of the credit markets, something that to many investors, will not have been particularly evident or visible at the surface there. I wonder if there's anything else that you are thinking about in terms of risk mitigation strategies as you move into the uh, to the back end of the year.
3: Yeah, well, one thing that you will know from having spoken to me, Johan, and, you know, I'm on this podcast to bring the sort of doom and gloom. That's my job as a fixed income guy. Uh, one thing that I would say is that it, it is really, really cheap to buy insurance against the market blowing up. And um, that I'm not saying the market is going to blow up, but you don't buy house insurance because you think your house is about to burn down. You buy it because it's cheap and it's an economically uh, rational thing to do. Um, implied volatility across all markets, equity markets and credit markets is very, very low. The VIX was sort of in the, in the 80s, um, roughly a year ago, and is back down at sort of low single, uh, low teens, and may even touch back into single digits again, uh, in the near future. If we look at credit land, we are now at the lowest number of basis points per day to buy at the money credit options, by which that means effectively the cheapest insurance ever since uh, credit options began in 2004 2005 and I'm, i'm not saying you should go out and buy loads of hedges but it's incredibly cheap to do so and i think valuations are are stretched i i think there is risk out there maybe just because we can't see it it doesn't mean it's it's not there and you know i i'm left feeling like um we've brushed off last year and put ourselves in a situation where it's almost impossible to see huge beta upside from here. And because we think that last year was catastrophic and we should have bought the dip last year, everyone now thinks there can only be upside. And I I think that that isn't necessarily something that's going to turn out well.
2: One thing just to say in terms of where the upside might be, you still have this really strong stimulus within the market. And so that's something that we think is going to continue to sustain companies, um, certainly over the next six months. Is that not something you're seeing from your side?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Louise, you're absolutely right. I think there is plenty of stimulus out there. And I think there is plenty of good news. We can't deny the fact that corporates', are results, corporates results are better than they were uh, last time we heard from them but i think for us because we have this asymmetry within credit it it really does feel odd that we uh, are at the lowest risk premium within markets that we've probably ever seen and that people are still uh, for my mind uh, slightly irrationally exuberant about how far things can go but it's easier for me to say that and it is for you to say that because you know high yield market pays you around 230 basis points for taking risk in in credit uh, spread terms. And the investment grade market pays you 50 basis points. So I know that there's only 50 basis points of upside from here. Um, But for you guys, within equity land, there's infinite upside. I just would caution that I think there is a lot uh, built into the price here. And, you know, my view is that there is a ton of relative value a ton of relative value but maybe the absolute value isn't quite as big as you know some market participants would have us believe
2: uh from a multi asset perspective definitely if investors are concerned about inflation then perhaps equities commodities are a safer place to be if if we do see that persisting uh, at least in the near term
3: yeah that's a really good observation uh, Louise, and, and I think that you know one of the traditional things that fixed income investors relied upon is a negative correlation between interest rates and credit spreads. I think that reliance uh, is something that people ought to just think about very, very carefully. It is possible that interest rates could rise and credit spreads go with them, uh, particularly in those really, really low rated uh, areas of the market. Um, but I think that investment grade still feels, for me, and I, you know, I hate to say it, you know, I'm normally an advocate for high yield over investment grade. But for me, investment grade feels like a really, really comfortable place to sit and generate a meaningful amount of yield. If your core thesis, which um, you suggested, was that you know maybe inflation wasn't going to come anytime soon, I feel like you're getting plenty of compensation for that uh, in investment grade land. So. I think that's why we've seen such large flows between equities and, and fixed income year to date. When, you, know, you and I were chatting about that this morning. And, Louise, you and I have spoken about it on a number of occasions already this year.
0: Yes, indeed, Jack. Some of those flows have been extraordinary this year. And what I find really interesting is I suspect it's not over yet by by any sense. Uh, Louise, I wanted to come back to you um, and touch on one of the things that you've raised with me is uh, an area of uh, ESG that's perhaps gone slightly out of favour, and that's around governance—not just corporate governance, but broader governance issues with the E and the S (environmental and social) very much in uh, in favour in terms of things that people are thinking about. But I know you've got some additional concerns around G.
2: Yes, that's right. Last year, we definitely saw some strong returns to both environmental and social themes coming through. Um, But one of the things that we've noticed is that we haven't seen so much focus on perhaps some of the the groundwork behind companies, so some of those governance standards. and, And actually, that's a really important risk for companies across industries So irrespective of if you are a really good ESG company, um, you do need to have good governance standards in place. So whether that's to do with having um, the right type of board or the right type of compensation, or just a real focus on kind of risk management, um, so a focus on product quality, really impacts some of the biggest sectors within the market, so within healthcare, within financials, uh, within technology businesses, this idea of product governance is an area that um, hasn't been so well reported in, in the last 12 months. Whether companies have not been facing these risks or whether they're just lower priority than perhaps some of the COVID, uh, maybe human capital issues that have come to the fore, and obviously the focus on kind of decarbonizing as well. So we think that as we get back to normal or back to a new normal, then then some of these issues could start appearing again and therefore within our stock selection, within our portfolios, really focused on ensuring that we've got good and adequate standards of governance and that companies are well positioned for the next challenges. So particularly cyber security, um, data privacy, there's issues that are quite new to some areas of the business and certainly kind of escalating in terms of perhaps their monetary or financial impact. Do companies have the right expertise to respond? Um, are they well resourcing um, some of those areas and responding to, to some of the latest challenges? So that's definitely something that certainly is as as an active stock picker. we we can see some big discrepancies in the market uh, and very much focused on those companies that are doing it well and setting themselves up for the long term.
0: Louise, thanks for that. And yes, it's going to be really interesting to see how firms prepare themselves for that transition, which kind of brings me to my uh, next topic. And this is around, well, it's been referred to in a number of different ways and building back better seems to be uh, the preferred favorite, I confess I kind of like building forwards better, like giving a sense that uh, we're talking about the future here. But I think there's no question that the world is facing a period of fundamental change. The 20s was billed as a decade of action, and I think uh, that that action is now absolutely critical. We're seeing it. All of these net zero pledges, Paris alignment commitments, alongside broader moves to green the economy. Um, are they're all wonderful to see. But realistically, the current best projection is for a temperature rise of 2.9 degrees above the long-term industrial average. And in a most optimistic scenario, would have us at 2.4 degrees um, above that figure. Now, that, those are problematic temperature rises. Um, I'm trying to think about what this requires of, Capital and therefore of the markets. And if I think about the first industrial revolution being about the application of steam to industrial processes, and then shortly followed by a second industrial revolution in which electricity really replaced steam as that source of energy. This third industrial revolution that I want to talk about is really a, it's a sustainable one, and it's going to be around changing the source of electricity as our source of energy from fossil fuels to renewables. So, uh, as I said in my opening remarks, uh, likely to be both winners and losers. But, Sylvia, I wonder if I could first turn to you from a macro perspective to get your thoughts on this idea of a sustainable industrial revolution.
1: Well, you mentioned building back better or b- building um forward better Uh, and i have to say that the policy response so far has really put a lot of emphasis on this aspect Um, however we haven't seen uh, many actual policies uh, really um, focusing on a green and inclusive recovery Uh, so far most fiscal measures have been short-term oriented uh, they have focused uh, on uh, the labor market in the short term. Of course, that was for good reason. And indeed, they avoided a sharper contraction in the global economy. And also, they have, avo- they have protected to some extent the most fragile workers, at least uh, in the short term. Um, however, measures targeting longer-term issues have been more elusive. Um, and indeed, there has been a recent study by uh, the UN uh, analyzing uh, the, the policy response to uh, the COVID crisis and basically concluding uh, that the policy efforts so far have largely missed the opportunity for building back, building back better. Um, and also there has been a study by uh, Vivid Economics and economic consultancy showing that most fiscal packages announced in response to the crisis up to February, 2021, have had a negative impact on the environment. So a fairly sobering, I would say, scenario. Um, and really the risk uh, is that we go back to a pre-COVID macroeconomic scenario, uh, which was dominated by three big uh, themes, I would say. So sluggish productivity growth, uh, especially in advanced economy, uh, economies, which is a problem for uh, the prospects of for living standards rising inequalities, and last but not least, a looming climate crisis. Um, That said, there are some silver linings. Uh, For a start, the crisis really uh, forced policymakers to put together a framework um, to deal with emergencies, and that framework can be adapted and improved to tackle like longer-term existential challenges uh, like climate change, Um, and second some announced or upcoming programs include a focus on sustainability and so for instance about 30 percent of the EU recovery funds should be devoted eventually to uh, green projects Uh, and there are also hopes surrounding the u.s infrastructure bill that could or should i would say uh, focus uh, on uh, greening the U.S. economy uh, in order to reach uh, the target of net zero by 2050.
0: Super. Yeah, and fully agree, Sylvia, that um, we're going to need more on the policy response side if we're to make the necessary transition. But of course, that's only part of the uh, necessary changes that we'll have to make. And the other side really sits in the world of corporates. And Louise, I wonder if I could maybe come to you and, and just ask you, how do you see this all playing out in the world of corporates?
2: Yeah. So as Sylvia said, there is so much support from a top down perspective from governments across the world and definitely seeing that starting to flow into markets. On top of that, we've got um TCFD reporting becoming mandatory within certain jurisdictions, which will bring um, companies' um, awareness of climate as a financial risk to the fore. Um, So as well as that kind of risk side, um, also within the EU, we've got the taxonomy reporting um, coming in as well. So companies, again, preparing for how they're going to report against those new greener standards um, and looking at the eligibility of certain businesses or some of their spending against some of those green themes. And as companies focus on these things in the same way that we've seen historically from other areas within ESG, what gets measured gets managed. And so we're going to start to see companies really ramping up how they can meet or how they can qualify for some of these frameworks. So for us, really looking at the companies that are ahead of the game in terms of some of those green opportunities, also looking at companies which are making an effort to set plans for decarbonization. So measuring the Brown revenue within their business as well, and thinking about how they can transition that forward. And, um, actually expecting, though we saw last year, a lot of the renewables names doing quite well as the uh, top-down money kind of started to be talked about and people and investors really started to get excited about the transition that's coming. We expect actually some of the money to actually kind of broaden so other sectors which are maybe not typically aligned but can maybe put out a green or sustainability bond Related to energy efficiency, for instance. Um, So, really looking beyond that kind of pure thematic to actually kind of say, actually, we want good green standards, good environmental standards across all businesses. And again, you know, within um, the type of metrics that we're looking at, um, you know, we think we're really well placed to find and identify those companies. And definitely one of the advantages of being an active stock picker. Is that you can see those um, announcements as they come, and I think this is an area that's moving so quickly. Um, it's really favourable to be in that position to be able to move um, ahead of maybe some of the reporting frameworks which are a little bit behind. You know, the final impetus that we're going to have, um, you know, at the end of this year is obviously the COP. Um, whether we'll see any more countries signing up to net zero, you know, we've already got over 60% of the world kind of signed up to that 2050. But whether things will escalate and go a bit quicker is the question. But definitely lots of opportunities, not just on the decarbonisation, but also on those green um, areas, and not just within the traditional areas, but across the whole economy.
0: Yes, let's uh, hope you're right. And and equally, that let's hope that regulation begins to coalesce because it, it must be difficult for investors to really get a, a handle on what they're asking of different firms uh, in different jurisdictions. Jaco, I, I wonder if I could get a sense from you. When you're talking to clients, what do you hear from them that they're looking for from asset managers like ourselves? What's the, what's the chatter in the industry? Yeah, I think... Touching on a couple
3: of things that Louise mentioned there, uh, they want to understand what these new products are. They want to understand sustainability bonds. They want to understand transition bonds. Um, they want to understand corporates in terms of the corporate reporting that's being done. They want to get a bit more guidance on what the hell some of this new regulation means for them, uh, but also for the corporates and and how they should interpret it. And they're, they're looking for guidance in that respect. Um, they understand that um, corporates can get benefits from doing good things and they, they they value that. They think that's a good thing, but they also want to find a way to measure that appropriately. Um, they're particularly demanding in terms of uh, a slight differentiator for us, which is our stewardship and engagement practice. They don't just want to see where a company is now, but they want to understand more and more what the uh, future will look like for some of these Corporates, and I think they value science-based targets, but they also value that sort of stewardship and engagement that we bring to the party, and, and and looking at you know forward risk in terms of some of these corporates. Um, and they also want to work with us on something which is which is really really positive. And you know, I'm, I'm going to do the inverse of my fixed income thing here and and be really really positive. They want to work with us on transforming our industry, the asset management industry. Um, the nature of capital markets, the energy and professionalism that they're bringing to these problems right now is is really engaging and and really really positive. Um, and I think that when we when we speak to our clients, there is this you know, huge shift uh, from where we were a decade ago. That this is probably the number one item that they want to discuss. They want to discuss with us how they can help to have an impact on this. Um, challenge that we face, probably the, the biggest challenge we've ever faced as a species. And I think that they, our, our clients that we're chatting to are saying, we need to get on with this. Um, how do
0: we do it? So an incredibly uh, difficult problem. And it, so the, the, the slight inverse or the corollary to, to Louise's quote earlier, um, there's, there's a phrase out there that says that not everything that counts can be counted. Louise, how are you addressing that with your clients and what are they hearing? What are you hearing from them?
2: So, I think within our approach, we've always very much had a focus on you know, two things which I think are quite distinct. One is not just looking at where companies are today, but also where they're going. So, that kind of forward looking information. And I think clients are demanding more of that. Um, you know, they, they really want to see. Um, how companies are changing, um, and ensuring, you know, where there are companies that have challenging aspects of their business, that they are taking steps in that right direction. On top of that, um, the other aspect that's really important is that we can use some of the quantitative metrics to inform our decision making. But the more qualitative, the more subjective parts of um, our jobs and assessing companies and, and feeding in um, both some of the stewardship actions that are coming um, and just some of the things that you can't put numbers on like culture um, are really important as well. And again, clients really interested to hear more about what we're doing. Um, we're doing more to be more transparent about our processes. And um, and they're definitely um, focusing very much, as as Jacko said, on, on net zero and client outcomes and that kind of longer-term thinking. Um, as well, we've had um, a lot of questions around um, human capital management, um, so the modern slavery uh, regulation that's come in. Um, within the EU and obviously it's been um, in the UK and Australia for a good number of years. Again, that's something that everyone's trying to ramp up to the next level. What are the outcomes? What are the real economic um, impacts of some of these things that we're doing and some of the companies that we're investing in? So, again, starting to report more on that um, and um, really start to measure um, some of the data behind that as well.
0: That's great, Louise. Super to hear how these things are evolving really quite rapidly from the sounds of things. So if I may, one last quickfire question to you all. Uh, I'll start with you, Sylvia, if I may. What have the last six months taught you and what will you carry forward for the second half of this year?
1: Uh, so I think that the main um, takeaway for me uh, is that really when faced with a crisis, humanity can come up with. Uh, effective and swift solutions, uh, although the tendency is really to act only when under pressure and in a short-term oriented fashion. So going forward, uh, I'm really looking for um, policy efforts to, to be directed towards tackling some longer-term and existential crises, such as the climate change, of course. Um, and, and so I'm really monitoring... Uh, what happens in terms of implementation of, of fiscal policy and, and new announcements.
0: Great. And Jaco?
1: Yeah, for
3: me, uh, you know, and this is an easy one. Uh, this first six months of the year has been incredibly volatile. Markets have been all over the place. Um, but I was very worried coming into the start of this um, year that the ESG trend might be done, that we might have seen so much um Emphasis on ESG in the back end of 2020 that we would see a bit of a pullback. I think the opposite has actually occurred. I think we've had a period of consolidation within markets, and I think the second half of 2021 is going to be about the alpha of ESG. I think that actually caring about sustainability, transition, climate change is going to continue to drive decision making and is going to continue to drive. Uh, investment returns in the second half of 2021, which makes me very
0: excited and very happy. Excellent, 100% agree. And uh, Louise,
2: I would agree with uh, both uh, Sylvia and and Jacko. Certainly, we've definitely, seeing some volatility, we can definitely expect that going forward. You know, that's what markets give us. But you know, that risk is you know how we achieve that return. So, you know, being well positioned in terms of being diversified. Um, definitely makes sense. So across value, growth and quality, all, you know, good fundamental um, investment characteristics for companies which are going to continue to outperform um, in the long term. On top of that, you know, Sylvia's point in terms of the fact that the world really has come together and certainly in terms of the vaccine rollout, yes, it's been very good in certain parts of the world. But you know, there's still lots of the world that hasn't and really emphasising that inequality that we've seen and how the world, hopefully, based on this crisis, will take the next crisis in terms of climate change and um, and be able to deal with that that much more effectively, um, we hope, having maybe had the world kind of pull together a little bit. But I think the final thing from that, definitely in terms of working from home, you know and you know the fact that we are able to continue um and do so much and certainly the economy in terms of how it's getting going and the strength that we're seeing and that real strong trend in terms of digitalization um and how that actually you know is good for so many parts of the market because it leads to kind of fewer resources um but we are still able to achieve and we've definitely seen that kind of escalate so um can only expect that to continue to ramp up um over the next next six months or so
0: very good louise uh, good to hear thank you so one thought from me what have we learned uh from the last six months and how will that affect the rest of 2021 this is maybe a bit of a longer distance one for me but the ipcc intergovernmental panel on climate change when they originally came out with their um their their different scenarios for one and a half degrees, I think they had around about four hundred or so pathways that were available to us to reach or to limit climate change to that uh, to that metric. Um, with the passage of time, we know that today there are maybe around fifty of those still left open to us, and if we take out those that perhaps figure figure on uh, or rely on some of the more uh, interesting technological transformations that we'd have to make realistically we're probably down to about 20 for me that will dictate the next half of this year the next uh, the rest of this decade and actually decades to come it, for me it's all about that combination of policy and regulation alongside reallocation of capital to support corporate activity that makes the difference so thank you everyone it's been my pleasure to host this special episode of Amplified, where we presented our forecasts for the second half of 2021. A big thank you to my guests, Senior Economist Silvio D'Angelo, Global Equities Portfolio Manager Louise Dudley, and our head of fixed income and multi-asset, Andrew jacker Jackson. As always, very grateful for all of your astute contributions. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Federated Termination's podcast channel, Amplified, and also Here and Now, which you'll find on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play too. I'm Ewan Murray, Head of Investment at the International Business of Federated Termes, and thank you all for listening.
2: Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the international business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only and the views, information or opinions expressed therein are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results and investors may not recover the full amount invested.